From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. I'm Peter Hartlaub, pop culture critic of the San Francisco Chronicle, here with Datebook senior arts editor Marikar Mendoza. Hi, Peter. Good to be back. Good to have you back. Um, Marikar, you interviewed Sandy Tan, director of the documentary Shirkers. What is Shirkers? Shirkers is a very interesting documentary. It is about Sandy's film that she made when she was 19 that was stolen and then we go on this very interesting journey with her um, trying to get that film back and it's like a thriller mystery kind of documentary that really takes you through a lot of emotions. (laughs) Well, Well here's Sandy Tan explaining why at age 19 in 1992 with little budget little planning or location scouting she decided to make a film in Singapore. Uh, my mentor, George Cardona, uh, who set up the first filmmaking class in Singapore, who, you know, 16 millimeter filmmaking class, um, I could not say no to that. And um, I gave him the script that I wrote, and it was the first draft. And he said, let's do it. It's it's a masterpiece. It's perfect. I mean, like, you know, like, that in, in itself is insane. That is so different from the reaction of most grown-ups in Singapore who are responsible, um, scoldy people just like yelling at you to get good grades and, and just obey everything and be good. Um, and so like he became a friend. I mean, we talked at the Chronicle, you and I did, the morning after you screened Shirkers. I would describe you as visibly shaken. Yeah, it was quite a lot to take in, I think. Um, the As I said, the the documentary is kind of a, a thriller in the sense that I every scene I was like, what is going to come next? I mean, it's certainly not a scary movie. There's, it's not gory by any means, but it's just there's a lot that you can unpack here. It's it's very interesting. Well, a lot of that comes out in the interview. I wouldn't call them spoilers, maybe minor spoilers. There's a lot in this movie still to discover, but you and Sandy do talk about some plot points. Shirkers is in theaters in a limited release and currently streaming on Netflix. Read the review on datebook.sfchronicle.com, along with all of our other great content. Datebook Podcast, thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Mari Carmendoza, Datebook Senior Arts Editor for the San Francisco Chronicle, and I'm sitting with filmmaker Sandy Tan, who wrote and directed Sugars, a documentary about a personal story that I'd like to say is of love and loss, but not in the conventional way of the phrase. So, Sandy, you were a film lover, passionate about film making, and then you lost the footage, and you were a teenager at the time. Um, I guess I really just want to start with Sugars what the title means and the original idea for the film. Okay, so my original film when I made, um, the original film when I was a teenager was also called Jerkers. You know, just to confuse things a little bit, um, I was a teenager making this, you know, crazy road movie with my friends in Singapore when nobody was making movies. And we shot this movie on 16 millimeter and it was taken away from us. It seemed very influenced by American movies at the time. I think you mentioned that you, you know, Rushmore and Ghost World really resonated with you in that original creation of Shirkers. Um, yeah, they were, they actually, we preceded them. So um, it was actually 
the Coen Brothers and David Lynch in the 80s that that influenced me as a teenager in Singapore where we could not see those films and I was you know the fact that they were contraband made them much more enticing to me and I you know had to develop my own uh I guess clandestine videotaping network uh, with a cousin in Florida to to be able to see these movies and they became you know special to me because they were versions of life that I wanted to do a version of in my boring you know teenage Singapore. You were a Singaporean like punk rocker, right? I mean very I well in, sp- in uh, spirit I was not a punk rock rocker in reality in my head I was a punk rocker but uh no I was I was just a kid. In our date book review of the Shirkers that is out now on Netflix, the critic wrote that it's it's tempting to call it a silent comedy. And and to be clear for folks who haven't watched this uh, on Netflix, the footage that you have of the original Shirkers did not have audio. And so that's why he's saying that. But, but yeah, I did find myself laughing at parts. And you guys talked about like all the tricks you pulled off to create yeah. that. So wait. It was reviewed in Datebook? Wow, it cool. Was. Okay. Yeah. It's I actually I out seen it. oh. today. I'll give okay. you a copy of it. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, well, that's pretty freaky. Okay. But no, I wanted to talk about um, the original making of mm-hmm. Sh- Shirkers and how you and your teenage friends um, pulled it off, how you guys actually pulled it off in Singapore, this rogue kind of filmmaking process that you guys went through. Um, it was fearlessness. It was naive naivety it was um it was optimism i mean it was just the fact that nobody had done it before so we didn't know it was impossible or difficult or something you shouldn't be doing or or you know like all of those negatives just did not occur to me um i was a teenager who was always writing movie scripts and 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 theater pieces in my head as i said you know i'm a punk punk rocker in my head and to get the opportunity when i met this uh, my mentor, George Cardona, uh, who set up the first filmmaking class in Singapore, who, you know, 16 millimeter filmmaking class, um, I could not say no to that. And um, I gave him the script that I wrote, and it was the first draft. And he said, let's do it. It's it's a masterpiece. It's perfect. I mean, like, you know, like, that in, in itself is insane. That is so different from the reaction of most grown-ups in Singapore who are responsible, um, scoldy people, just like yelling at you to get good grades and, and just obey everything and be good. Um, and so like he became a friend. I mean, like it was strange to think that this 40-year-old American man um, wound up being my best friend when I was 18. Um, and it wasn't creepy. I mean, he was a peer and he talked to us like a peer and we all got along and and we were gonna make find our own tribe of my friends from high school because we were part of this special kind of theater studies and drama program so we were all kind of you know slightly um crazy ambitious kids anyway and we um decided to band together and make this movie that i wrote well that's a good segue into what shirkers is now like what you debuted now Mm -hmm. um which is really not what you set out to do um, when you were 19. So without giving too much away, and maybe, maybe yeah, we will. The, the original, maybe just, okay. we just so will. I'll, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just um, explain what the original movie was. Mm-hmm. It was, um, it's called Shirkers. It was shot in 1992. I played the lead uh, character, this, this, this 
this, um, I guess, teenage assassin named S. And I, um, a 16-year-old, um, you know, girl, nerdy girl, was just who wanders around the island looking to find her own tribe of people she likes enough to kill. And she has, you know, five people to take into the next world with her. And really, it was an excuse for a road movie. Um, you know, like, Singapore is the smallest country in the world. You can cross this place in 40 minutes. And I thought, why not try to do the craziest, most extreme thing, which is to make this place seem as vast as the America of a Vim Vendors movie, you know, as mythic as something like that. And um, could we do that? And that was a challenge. And so Shirkus was an excuse to, uh, in finding those five people for my tribe, it was an excuse to show the place in a kind of a magical surreal way and characters who are magically surreal like including the largest dog in the country which my friend Sophie managed to find and we we got this dog for the film that was parts that those were the parts where I laughed a bit because I was like how did you sneak this big freaking dog into places for these shots so really cool stuff you know what I actually am curious about especially with the the strict Singapore that Mm -hmm. I remember hearing about I know I've never visited Singapore but um like, were, was your family supportive of this endeavor at the time? Um, well, you know, I think people, like kids now, um, tell their parents too much. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, like, back in the day, like, I was, um, you know, I was raised by my grandparents. So pretty much I was raised by wolves in, in some ways because they're, they're so hands-off. Um, and I, um, my grandmother's in the film. I kind of talked her into being in the movie as my grandmother because I could tell that she wouldn't, you know, like be my grandmother forever. Like she's not around anymore. Um, and I got my baby cousin in the film too. And, you know, because she's going to grow and become a boring person and not cute anymore. And I thought it was important to capture all these, you know, vanishing faces and places. So those members of my family were kind of cognizant that I was concocting something that was out of the ordinary. But, um, in terms of everybody else, I, I was pretty low-key about it. Um, it was just me and a bunch of kids. I mean, that was, you know, the, the um, I guess the strength of the film was that it was all kids. It was like Bugsy Malone, us running around doing this impossible thing. And then the dangers of it, too, was that we were all kids. We had no grown-up backups. We didn't have anyone to go to um, if anything bad happened. And that's what happened. So now the Sugars documentary is about how you lost that film and then brought it back again, kind of, sort of, in this yeah. different version. Um, and you said you wanted to even forget about it at the time, right? Because but of no, how traumatizing it was. Yeah, it was it the was. toxic, um, you know, when something traumatic like that happens to you or this, this the biggest um, achievement that you did as a kid um, is taken away from you and you have no proof that it ever happened. Um, you sound, you start sounding like a crazy person when you talk about it. Um, like your friends start to kind of like, yeah, 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 whatever, sure, yeah, you shot this crazy thing. Like nobody believes you. I mean, like nobody was doing it, so therefore, um, you know, nobody could imagine that we actually did shoot in all these like hundred locations. I mean, there's just like a bunch of kids running around uh, with a hundred extras. Um, you know, all these amazing, you know, shots that we caught, like you know, sneaking onto freeways and shooting, like me sitting on the, in the middle of the freeway and sitting on railway tracks. I mean, things like that. Yeah, with like, roads not officially blocked for you or anything Yeah, like that. yeah. I mean, dangerous things like that. I mean, things that you would not tell your parents you were up to. Um, so, you know, it was like kind of a secret, like a, a shameful secret I had to bury, like, um, you know, like a, a traumatic thing as if, you know, I'd done something wrong or something bad had been done to me. 
Um, well, and I'm sure it, the trauma was, you know, tenfold because your mentor was the one who took it away from you. He took all those canisters of film yeah. from you for how many years? Um, <clears throat> well, he took it for, um, I guess they were away from me for like almost 20 years before I, re you know, was um, reunited with them in a dramatic fashion. Um, yeah, as a grown up in, in America, when I was, I moved to LA, I'm a novelist, I was a novelist and and a different person. And these things re-entered my life like a, a ghost, a reanimated monster. When you saw them, did were there thoughts about how you wanted to bring it back the way you dreamed up in when you were 19 or you knew like, this has to be something different? Um, I kind of knew it had to be something different, but I didn't know what because first of all, they came in a wave of seven boxes uh, containing photos, storyboards, um, you know, every shred of everything that was in the office at the time. Um, and I, and these boxes sat in my house like radioactive, toxic waste. Uh, I kept them in the corner of my living room stacked, like seven boxes stacked in the corner of the living room vertically so they resembled a mummy's tomb. And and they just sat there for three years. I mean, I, people are surprised when I say three years, but they sat there for three years because I couldn't um, bear to open them up and deal with this 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 very toxic thing and and relive that and um, you know have to re get in touch with my friends who are no longer my friends and relive this very traumatic episode again. But at the same time, I knew that it was it was a fascinating story that had to be told. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't like throw it out. Well, because I knew like this was treasure. I spent my entire adult life looking for this secretly, and then repressing it as well secretly. And it was like it was like this massive secret in my life. It was as if like your child that you had abandoned suddenly showed up at your front door and was knocking on it in the middle of the night. I mean, do you answer it? Like, do you let them in? I mean, I guess you do. You should. Um, but how? And do you like? wait for it to stab you in the back um, for leaving it alone. Um, so it, it was it was a whole mass of feelings. I also knew it was going to, you know, take me down this, this kind of crazy rabbit hole of possibly emotional damage and financial ruin. So it, it, it took a lot, lot of, um, I don't know, like a lot of gathering up of, of steam and, and, and courage and, and finances to get this going. And you had that 20-something 20 20 years in between mm -hmm. You created other films in that yeah. time, correct? Yeah. So, and this was like a secret that whole time that you just yeah. never told anybody you did well, this? Well, I mean, night? some people knew, but, you know, they didn't know, like, to the extent that the footage was going to be so special. I mean, you, there was no way of describing it in a way that did not seem grandiose, um, that did not seem like I was making up. Like, when I watched um, Rushmore and Ghost World, I mean, there were things that were like, oh, my God, that's what we were going for. These were the colors we were going for, the mood. But when you say that to somebody else, like, I mean, they're just going to think you're you're just exaggerating or being, I don't know. Like, I had no proof, right? So the, you just sound like a crazy liar. So um, you just learn to kind of keep quiet about it. It's like it became the this, this secret. So this is validation. This is vindication now. It is, and and the story of how this came about. I mean, I just wanted to 
to share with the world because, I mean, it wasn't just about me, um, you know, me, this awkward teenager giving this awkward performance. It was like we managed to pull like all these actors who actually had some faith in wanting to become actors like grownups. We, we persuaded to be in this movie. Um, the, the, the woman who played the nurse, for example, she was a really good actress. I mean, she was actually a nurse, but she wanted to be an actress and she could have been somebody if this movie had been released or made. Um, and then all these kids that we pulled into the film that we had to sneak them out of school, old people we stole out of the old folks' home to be in this movie, and like the dog that we stole, and in locations we we kind of, and and buses we hijacked as as kids. I mean, like it was like an enormous adventure that I wanted to share with the world and show kids that you can do this. I mean, like who's stopping you? And also for grown-ups to just remember what it's like to be when you're 18, 19, when you're fearless and just just to be reacquainted with that part of you. Going back to your mentor, talking about how this was finally an adult that could like understand all that creativity. His name is George Cardona. Yeah. And um, he, he obviously seemed pretty charming and um, also manipulative. Yeah. Right. Your friends even said that mm -hmm. you should be careful. Um, in this Me Too era, mm -hmm. did you want to put this movie out even more to kind of explain? I wasn't that. thinking of that. I was just telling mm. my own story, and it happened to mesh and appear during this time when these things were happening. Um, I'm so much luckier than a lot of people who had much worse things happen to them. But it's a story that resonates with so many women because so many people have had mentors who are kind of like that, you know, um, who actually, you know, you were a girl who wanted to be taken seriously, who wanted to be seen, and here was a grown up who was actually taking you seriously in a way that nobody else had. Um, so he had undo like you know more emotional and and you know power over you than than before mm -hmm. because he was also a friend. Um, so that that when he did you know vanish with our work, it was more of a surprise and a a, a real betrayal um, because who does that? I mean, like he was also erasing his own footsteps, his own work. I mean, he was a part of the project too. Um, but you know, so for me, finding out that I wasn't the only person who had, you know, been, I, I, I hate the word victimized because I don't think we were victims in, in the way that of being passive, you know, people taken advantage of, but who, who had been, you know, subject to his whims, let's say. Um, I, I, I had to find other people who, you know, it was like a part of a, we were part of a, a continuum of, of people he had done this to. So, um, so it made me feel also less um, like I should be not so ashamed that I was taken advantage of, that I wasn't like some stupid kid who was particularly naive, because I was not. I mean, I I knew that there was something unusual about this man, but, you know, to work on a creative project, you had to often work with people who are, you know, have unusual quirks. Um, you, I just could not have imagined that one of his quirks would be to actually abscond with the entire film. Going back to all the things that you just said right here, I mean, those, those things ran through my mind when I watched this. I, I Like, yeah, who does this? Mm -hmm. Who does that to to children, mm -hmm. pretty much? Um, and, and, and why? Like, why you know, would he want to do that? Because the, the thing that fascinates me about him, which is why I don't think of him as a complete villain, maybe because I'm his age now, and, and I'm much more sympathetic to somebody who is in their 40s and not feeling completely their own official age, uh, but also who feels drawn to the energy of, of younger people. Um, you know, which I, by no means do I condone what he did. 
um, which is heinous. But, um, but you know, I understand that he's a man who was frustrated, who was very talented as a storyteller, who lived in, in words, you know, not deeds, because he could not create. I mean, he's never actually finished the film. He's never actually done anything, as far as I, I can tell, or finished the project. What he can do is he, he, he he's the best storyteller in the world. He's always living the novel of his life and telling stories and living in a, a kind of a larger-than-life life. And that is his art. That is his living novel. And part of that is in creating... You know, it's a very dark thing, but he creates loss in people's lives, like taking things that they have created and just taking away from them so he's remembered and he matters to them. He matters in the form of loss, of a black hole. I mean, it's a very dark thing, but when you think about it, like so many people do this. I mean, like you think of all these sociopathic um, politicians who, um, you know, or, or, or terrorists or, you know, people who create black holes and, and wars and, and, you know, holes in your bank account for, for, for fun and profit. I mean, they matter. They, they know they, they can make an impact that way. And this is what George was. So I find him an extremely compelling, you know, artistic character. He's kind of Gatsby-esque in the way that he is not from here. It's not, I'm, I'm going to spoil this and say that he's, he was not, um, he's an American, but he's not born here. He's very much a self-created person. He almost seems like a, a wonderful fictional, mythological character. So I find him compelling. And part of telling this, I could not tell my story without telling his story because we are forever intertwined, I think. And I think, um, you know, that's the thing that captivates, um, that makes the story a bit more, I think, um, you know, interesting for most people. Yeah, I find that, like, in, in what I've read and in watching the film, while there was some anger there, you really didn't seem like you hated him. There was, there's something still redeeming about him to you. Um, I don't seem like I hate him in a in a in an overt way. I mean, you know what he did was horrible. My friends are are really genuinely much more angry at him than I am. Maybe. Um, I mean, I I am, but I had the benefit of working through this film and working out my feelings and my anger, and and certainly I was angry for years. Um, but now I'm I'm kind of given this very strange gift. Um, you know, what had been a curse is now a gift um, in which I was given the opportunity to kind of solve this this largest jigsaw puzzle of my life as a grown-up detective. And, um, you know, being being given that opportunity to make a film and rediscover my voice and my confidence as a storyteller, I think is a, is a very strange um, gift, you know, in a very strange way. I mean, he could not have engineered a better story. I mean, as a great storyteller, um, you know, he might have maybe dreamed up something like that, but he, he, he did not pull it off himself. He needed me to finish the story and tell it. I, I find it, it was really awesome. It's, being a journalist, you, you really became a journalist to put this story together. You dug deep. You did interviews. This wasn't just about you telling your story and saying this is how it went down. You really went and sought out to try to really fill those voids, the gaps. Yeah. And the, um, you know, we have openings here at the Chronicle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, being able to kind of do that kind of work, yeah. how, that must have helped with the process of healing. Um, yeah, because you felt much less alone. I mean, it was painful getting in touch with people who also like, you know, coaxing people into being part of this was a huge um, undertaking because George wasn't just toxic for me. He was toxic for all of these characters. So to coach, to coax them into wanting to, to talk about their experience, um, that was a huge 
as a journalist, you know, you have to, you know, get the subjects willing to talk about it. And they were wavering, you know, back and forth to the very second of the the mic was turned on, for example. You know, they were like, no, yes, no, no. And then finally they talked. But um, that took some doing because it's and I realized um, just in that fact um, that I was not completely alone in this. And, you know, for better or worse, we are all united by this this you know our strange encounters with this very strange man and all had something taken from him but but we have now kind of forged a new um strange family because of it i have to say watching this i felt kind of icky like oh my gosh what is this guy doing what is his end game why did he want to do this to you because that is his living novel that is like he's making the movie up as he goes along and it's dramatic like it's could be it's like um it's like personalized theater that he he created just for his own amusement like just like bespoke theater for an audience of one himself maybe an us the victims as well um you know it's 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 so to me that's extremely fascinating i cannot i don't condone it again um but i i i cannot help but find um these darker impulses kind of fascinating because I'm a storyteller and I find these, um, you know, different kinds of ways of human behavior and thinking fascinating. Shirkers means runaway, right? It means running away from responsibility. Um, it's, um, I guess I shirked the responsibility of, of um, you know, digging deeper and, 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 and coming to terms with all of this for 25 years. So I felt it was apt to call this documentary Shirkers, even though really, ironically, in making this film, I did every anything but shirk. I worked my ass off for three years um, like a detective, like a, you know, just finding clues and just coaxing people to get involved and just piecing together and just giving back my friends, giving my friends back a chunk of their lives because all, all of us felt like... You know, even the people, even the guy who played the mystery boy who was in the film, like, for, you know, a few minutes, um, when he saw the, this film, my film, he said that I, I, he felt as if I had given him a chunk of his life back. And I feel like I owe that to everybody I, you know, talked in, into being part of this project in the first place. And I owe it to the people whose lives were, you know, um, affected by the actions of George Cardona, who have nothing to do with Shirkers, but who... Um, you know, like his his widow, for example, and some of the friends who had you know things taken away from them. Um, you know, and and it's strange that I like you know because things are never that clean. You know, and life is messy, and um, you got to take the the good with the bad and protect yourself from the bad. But but um, you got to accept the fact that there are good things too. Well, with that, what kind of advice would you give filmmakers, new aspiring filmmakers? Um, be fearless and just tell meaningful stories that that um, that means something to you um, because every because 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 filmmaking is so hard you're gonna hear no so many times it's gonna be so difficult that you should really just do something that's worthwhile and that is good and develop a very very thick hide because most of the time it's just gonna seem impossible but if it's if, if you feel that you're supposed to do it, then do it. And then, you know, it's never too early and it's never too late. That's my last thing. Like, it's never too, like, really, it's never too late. Yeah, 25 years later. You never know how, how, how time works. I mean, I think my advice is to build your own time machine and to write your own rules. That's awesome. What is next now after Sugars? Oh, I'm just, you know, talking to a bunch of, I'm not allowed to say, but I'm talking to a bunch of people about a bunch of things. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, awesome. Thank you yeah. so much for taking the time to come here and talk about sugars. I know it's it's a, it's a big part of your life, and uh, I'm glad you found the validation that you yeah. needed. No, thank you for this. This is um, really fun to be here um, in the Chronicle building in the morgue. <laughs> yeah, with that smell of I know, the smell, newspaper. the smell of, yeah, funny, funny things and tragic things. Thank you so much. Thank you. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to Mari Carmendoza and our guest, Sandy Tan. Our producer is me, Peter Hartlob. Senior producer is King Kaufman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke. And our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is Mozart's Symphony 40 in G minor by Blue Dot Sessions. Read our columns and subscribe to the Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. San Francisco Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S.